the home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are in the middle of the week. Some people call it hump day. I don't really like to do that. What I will say is it's my mother's 99th birthday today, so I might as well just get that right off the top and wish her a very happy birthday uh, and I'll be going to see her very soon. Uh, She's fully expecting to make it to 100, of course, as she would be uh, being a Graham. But we'll talk more about that. So I'll just say actually a happy day to every mother and grandmother. I was talking to um, uh, one of the people here uh, in the office who said in Greece they have a grandmother's day seems quite nice. We don't have one of those. Maybe we should. We'll talk more about that anyway. There's some other stuff to talk about, of course, as well. John Rental is here. Uh, we've got Prime Minister's Questions today with Angela Rayner and Dominic Raab, which should be quite interesting. We've got to talk about the Labour Party. We've got to talk about Jeremy Corbyn. We've got to talk about what is going on inside the head of uh, Keir Starmer. We've also got to talk about shop window politics and what the Tories are doing, because, of course, as you might have expected, uh, yet another announcement. There's just one coming about every hour. Oh, shit, is what it says. Uh, This is a prison ship, which is actually in Scotland, that they say they're going to put a load of migrants in. They say they're going to do an awful lot of things. They're going to change the probationary rules later on today. Uh, They're going to lock people up. They're going to evict people. Uh, They're going to arrest people for begging. They're going to do all manner of things to stop social and anti-social behaviour going on. Uh, Are they really, though? Uh, We'll find out about that. Also, uh, another great story today that's found in The Guardian. Apparently, Guardian owner apologises for the founders' links to slavery. Goodness gracious me. Who ever thought that would happen? Um, also, much else besides, we'll be talking about Mehmet, of course. We will also uh, be going to Scotland. Scotland beat Spain last night at football. 2-0. Absolutely extraordinary times. Uh, and we'll be talking to Donald McLeod about that. Uh, also, Matthew Goodwin joins us. He's written in The Sun today about a new elite. The likes of Gary Lineker... Uh, people like Carol Vorderman, Alistair Campbell, uh, the people who really now think that they actually run the country, whether they do or not. Uh, we'll also, of course, take your calls, 0344 499 1000. Kevin O'Sullivan will join us. He knew um, um, uh, what uh, could be uh, Paul O'Grady rather well. Uh, he's going to be telling us what he made uh, of him. He's rather sadly died at the age of 67. Uh, tributes flooding in from all over the place this morning for him. So we'll do all of that. Uh, plus, as I say, we'll take your calls, 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's a rather grey day today. I can't really quite decide this this week whether it's spring or not. John Rental is here though. Good uh, very good morning to you. It's it's kind of it's a lovely a lovely British what day we used out to there. call in Scotland drich. Indeed, um, drizzle. There is no kind of uh, English equivalent word, I'm afraid. The top of the shard is in cloud. Yes, you can't yeah. see it, and that's always a good indicator of uh, what uh, what things are like outside. But what are things like outside? Because um, you're a man that sort of straddles the political biosphere and um, I always like <laughs> to ask you what it. the temperature is of the uh, of the state of the nation I'm still convinced that we're involved in all this kind of shop window politics because the Tories seem to be making an announcement about once every three and a half minutes yeah. you know they're obviously getting uh, people seem to be saying they're getting into election mode they're trying to impress the, the, the voters out there that they're going to be tough on crime they're going to be tough on immigration they're going to be tough on anti-social behaviour all of these kind of stalwarts thoughts of any conservative yeah. but are they they're really not, i suppose they're not it? impressing me i'm afraid i, mean, I'm not, I, thought, I yeah. thought i thought rishi sunak made a very good start as prime minister uh and he got to grips with some really difficult issues he, mm. saw, he, he, he did the northern ireland protocol i mean it's not it's not finally sorted out yet but, but it's something uh, isn't it but he did actually do a very sensible and uh, and and a reform that people said was not possible mm. i mean he actually got the eu to reopen the treaties yeah um 
and he seemed to be making progress on some on some really difficult issues. He's, he sorted out the, I mean, he's, he's, he's stabilised the economy after mm. the turbulence of last year. Yeah. Um, but now he seems to be going slightly off track and uh, and just uh, doing doing what populist governments have done. Yes. You know, for decades now, which has yes. announced that you're going to put asylum seekers mm. on, on ships. Uh, and you're going to and you're going to take action against antisocial behaviour mm. of all of all kinds of implausible. It's almost as types. if he's been listening to my show for the last two years, and he's now decided to finally take my advice, which is no bad thing. <laughs> However, the question is, will it actually happen? Because it sounds it does smell a bit like sort of government by focus group, doesn't it? It, do, it very much does. It's it's it sounds very much like uh, Tony Blair. Uh, free thinking about uh, about marching yobs to cash points, yes. which which, uh, which is nearly a quarter of a century ago. Is now. it really? Yeah, there's goodness two, me. Year two thousand. I remember I that, that backfired was. rather badly because of an incident involving one of his kids, um, <laughs> which we all decided not to run in the papers. But effectively, you know, he would have been the first one marched <laughs> to the cash <laughs> machine had it been uh, publicised. You know, but you know, those on the spot fines um, are still around. Um, fixed penalty notices hmm. um, are. In, you know, increasingly used by the police, and there's a lot of briefing over the weekend about um, the government introducing more of them yeah. uh, and banning um, laughing gas, which seems to me a fairly pointless activity. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, d- doing laughing gas is a fairly pointless activity. Well, people and tell banning me, it is people also, tell me it's already it's illegal rather, anyway. So well, you know, a lot it's of illegal these things... to, it's illegal to buy it. I yes, think, um, for. You know, unless you're unless you're going to use it for catering, unless or you've got a dental practice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but this is the thing. You know, like uh, we were talking last night on the talk about the eviction situation, where they're talking about evicting people uh, after two weeks. Well, that's yeah. just not going to happen. You no. know, you can't start throwing people out onto the street. Well, evicting um, problem tenants has been one of those things that the government just re-announces every every six months, uh, and it's a, and it's a shame to see Rishi Sunak stooping so low. Mm. I think. Yes, and why do you think he is doing it now? Because uh, it's a bit early, unless he's going to call a snap election in the next sort of couple of months. Well, because local elections are coming up, and mm. and the Labour Party uh, quite quite cleverly got in there first on antisocial behaviour. Keir Starmer started making a big fuss about mm. about crime, and in particular low level crime. Right. I mean, he got mocked for 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 that family in his constituency who uh, who could smell cannabis Um, uh, you know but actually that is something that that people do care about and it was going to become an issue in Mm. the in the local elections and and so and he has been making a thing hasn't he lately of being you know tough on crime and fighting crime all his life and the caped crusader and all this (laughs) batman business you know how he's he's never stopped fighting crime and you kind of go yeah all right yeah exactly he's he's actually a human rights lawyer he's one of these people who signed that letter Saying don't deport these yeah. uh, these criminals, well, which to, is a real to, problem to for Jamaica. He so went a bit quiet after that was raised, didn't he? Well, quite, and because uh, it he wasn't hasn't... he wasn't the only one. Because it turned out that as I think it was the son that did it last week. There was about seven other characters who yeah. had gone back into prison and committed some quite serious crimes after being rescued by him. That's right, and and well, and Keir Starmer signed that letter just before he became uh, leader of the yeah. Labour Party, and since since then he's undergone a rather dramatic. Well, conversion you just, to, uh, to the to the eternal truths of Blairism. Well, you can just ask your good friend Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, sorry, his good friend Jeremy. Sorry, no, not his good friend. He used to be his good friend Jeremy his form, Corbyn. Former good friend. I mean, the idea that he has done such a complete and utter reversal, people are now beginning to say, 
has he gone a bit too far? I, mean, I was listening to John McDonnell last night uh, talking on uh, on Talk TV, and yeah, I quite like John McDonnell. I mean, I don't agree with anything he says, but I mean, yeah. I don't mind it. But you may have a different view. I have a different okay. view. Okay, um, but um, well, it's good to know. Uh, but he said it looks it looks very unfair, and it seems a bit cruel. It seems that he's being really vindictive about well, Corbyn, and I'm not a... defending Jeremy Corbyn, but why? You know, I don't I don't get his position on it at all. No, well, I think that's quite clever positioning by John McDonnell. I mean, John McDonnell can do politics in yeah. a way that, that Jeremy Corbyn can't. I yes. mean, Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn had a wonderful opportunity yesterday. He, he was doorstepped by this, yeah. uh, this Sky reporter I saw that. Um, outside, outside the House of Commons asking yeah. if he was going to, to stand as an independent. Yes. And he got all snooty and said, oh, you should be covering the demo that I'm yeah. about to go to. And she right. said, we are. Um, yeah, but he's, so he's, he's hopeless with the his press, isn't he? Catchy, bad tempered. Yeah. Well, there's another there's another piece of footage I think it was from ITV where he's walking up the road, mm. about to go into his home, and he just ignores the question. Yeah. And he just looks really, really angry, and you just kind of go, "Well, just answer the question. What's the big deal? You know, you used to be leader of the Labour Party. Yeah. You wanted to be Prime Minister. You would have thought people you'd are going to answer him. a question. The Absolutely. one thing that I was interested in was that people were noticing how unkempt his front garden was, because when he opened the uh, the, the gate, <laughs> it's about three feet high, full of all sorts of vegetation and strange-looking things. I don't know what he's growing in. I there. thought I thought he was uh, he was good with plants, but there well, you go. maybe so, but he's not cutting them back. In the way <laughs> I think he should. But, but no, but the interesting question is is what will happen if he does stand as an independent? Yeah. Because, um, uh, you know, I, I, maybe I, I believe the, the propaganda that he has a huge amount of support. I mean, I do, I do know people who live in his constituency who, you know, don't agree with his politics, mm. but think he's a really good constituency MP. Yes. Maybe he has enough support. But uh, I did hear John Curtis uh, yesterday mm. saying that it, you know, it really is very, very difficult independence it is ever to hold but i suppose seat. a lot as ever will depend on who the who he's up against i mean it depends true. on who labor puts in there I and mean, if labor is smart they'll put somebody they'll have to put in somebody rather good. rather a, a, a reasonably high profile figure if they just put some nobody in there yeah corbyn will walk all over him i would have thought well i don't know i mean it's difficult because what does like, the trouble is you know you this is part of the problem with labor is that what exactly do they stand for i mean who would keir starmer pick what qualities does he expect his mps to have because one of the things McDonald said is that, you know, uh, we are a party of the, the progressive left. Therefore, there are lots of different people with lots of different opinions about all manner of things inside the Labour Party. And it's not uh, a, a homogenous group of people who all believe the same thing. So if that's true, then, you know, he could get somebody who is not that far removed from Corbyn's view. Yeah, that would be quite clever, you know, to, to get someone sort of... Sort of the left. Who, who seems to be quite left-wing. Yeah, rather than if um, he gets a sort of Mandelson-style... Blairite figure. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. No. Uh, but, I mean, who knows? Uh, I mean, it's very interesting. I, th- I, th- I thought Jeremy Corbyn wouldn't, uh, wouldn't stand as an independent because he wouldn't want to end his, end his career uh, with a defeat like that. I mm. thought he'd, he'd just retire gracefully to his Peace and Justice um, Institute or whatever, yes. he's called, whatever yeah. it's called. Um, but it, seems, it just seems to me that Starmer's... Um, I mean, he's taking a bit of a gamble here. He doesn't need to do it. Yes, he does. He's of kind he of does. why? Well, but yeah, but why didn't he kick him out of the party before then? Well, he can't kick him out of the party because disciplinary matters are no longer in the uh, in the well, hands, hands of the Well, he's preventing him from standing so, as a candidate. Yes, so he, that, can he do might that. as well. But what's what's interesting about that was the motion before the national executive yesterday uh, didn't mention anything to do with the mm. anti-Semitism or the, um, uh, the the Equalities and Human Rights Commission, which is which is the issue that got yes. him excluded from the parliamentary right. Labour Party because he wouldn't apologise. Well, yes, and effectively. obviously, 
Yes, but Keir Starmer was obviously worried that perhaps he would apologise late in the day mm. and then take the party to court and mm. say, you've got to let me stand as an MP. Yes. So instead, they've, they've invented these other grounds for excluding him, which is that it just wouldn't be in the Labour Party's interest because he lost the election, yes. the last general election. But doesn't so it also show, though, that, that Labour is still dogged by the whole anti-Semitism kind of stain? They can't, no, so, they can't so. get rid no. of it. They can't because, because they, they, we're still talking about it. Well, yes, but I mean, we're talking about how Keir Starmer's dealt with it, and, and we're also and talking the fact about that Luciana Berger and people like that are back in the back in the party. I yes. think uh, I, th I think that's good enough for Keir Starmer. Well, it might be, but it's not good enough for the electorate because I think a lot of people now see Keir Starmer as two-faced, as a hypocritical, um, a bit of a betrayal um, candidate. You know, a guy who says one thing and means something completely different, who basically supported Jeremy Corbyn when a lot of the people who are currently in the shadow cabinet yeah. didn't support Jeremy Corbyn and weren't in his cabinet. No, that's and right. And Keir no. said the words, he's my good friend. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, for and friends you... like that, you don't really need prime ministers, do you? And he and you know he said the the twenty seventeen election manifesto was a foundational yeah. document, and he stood on those ten pledges, which looked yeah. very very cool. I think it makes him look incredibly but, weak and and just not very nice. But yeah, but I don't think most people pay pay that much attention to the detail. Uh, I think most most voters just think, well, that was that was Corbyn. Keir Starmer's different. He doesn't agree with him. Uh, he doesn't agree with him now. No, but that, he used but, to. Yes, but that doesn't that doesn't seem to bother people but particularly. Yeah, well, no, but it kind of does. Labour are he, quite popular at the moment. Well, uh, they're not as popular Mike. as they were no, because no, already quite a long way ahead. Well, of the I mean, polls. you talk no, yeah, but they're not as far ahead as they were because since Rishi Sunak has done this shop window policy, it's actually started to work. Yeah. people start to think that they are doing something, even though I'm telling you that they're not, and you don't think they're doing anything. People are being convinced that they are, and when they look at Keir Starmer, they see somebody who looks a bit untrustworthy, a little bit shifty, yeah. and somebody you couldn't actually rely on because he'll do whatever he thinks is the best thing to do at that time. Well, but as long as as long as the best thing to do at that time is what the voters want and what they agree with, I don't I, th I don't think there's too much too much of a problem with uh, with doing a U-turn. U-turns in politics, uh, you know, we get very excited about them as journalists because mm. we say, oh, you're inconsistent mm. and you've, uh, you've, you're used to, you're used to think something different. I mean, most voters just look up and say, well, yeah, he, but was, this is he was doing the wrong thing. Yeah, no, but see, the right I, think, thing. I think this is different because I think it's not just a U-turn in policy. He's basically betrayed his friend. And that's very different. And I think well, I don't then, think they were ever really friends. Well, he they? said they were. Well, we're not supposed to believe anything he says. I mean, no, who knows? Well, that's, well, that, that, no, I agree. That is a problem. That is a problem. That is a problem. It is a character That is a problem he has. And if I'd been Boris Johnson, I would have pointed that out. But there we are. It's a bit late for him. Um, John Rentals here. We've got to talk about the Guardian and slavery. It's an absolute shame. Shame on the Guardian. Apparently, they've got links to slavery. Absolutely disgraceful. Uh, shut it down immediately. This is Talk TV. Talk Radio. Powered by common sense. Activated by opinion. Free speech radio. On the app, on your smart speaker, and on the money. Talk Radio. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Clear-headed, honest opinion. Watch live on FreeSat Channel 217. On Apple TV and Samsung TV+. Plus. Listen live on DAB+. Ask your smart speaker to play Talk TV. And get access to exclusive content by downloading the Talk TV mobile app. Available for free now from the App Store and Google Play. Talk Radio and Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We will be talking about the SNP, of course, and Hamza Youssef becoming the first uh, Minister of Scotland, which happened just the other day. Uh, people who like him were saying, look what's happened already. Scotland have beaten Spain at the football. Um, other people have gone. <laughs> his results. first actual move was to uh, was to get rid of Kate Forbes out of the Cabinet. Well, uh, he offered her rural well, affairs. Well, yeah, but she used to be the, the Chancellor. <laughs> so, so. so we'll come back to that. But we've got to talk about The Guardian, because this is the funniest story of the day. Um, this awful history <laughs> must reinforce our determination to expose racism, injustice and equality. That's from Catherine Viner, the editor-in-chief. They basically worked out uh, that the man who founded The Guardian, who's a bloke called John Edward Taylor, um, who was a journalist and cotton merchant, very much like myself, um, uh, founded the newspaper in 1821 and borrowed money from some other Manchester businessmen who were, surprise, surprise, involved in the cotton business because in the north of England at that time, that was pretty much the business to be in. That was where the end. money was. And that Absolutely. was where the money was. Um, but, of course, they also had connections to slavery in parts of the US, South Carolina and Georgia, and also in the Caribbean. So they're going to spend 10 million quid, apparently, from the Scott Trust um, to invest it in parts of the Caribbean and parts of Georgia and parts of South Carolina in a way to make sort of reparations for what they did. I mean, it's kind of mad. Well, uh, I, all, I, mean, I mean, so The Guardian has just discovered that it's actually quite an old institution. Uh, and therefore goes back to a time when anybody with money would have had some kind of connection yeah. with the uh, with the slave trade. Yes. I mean, it's not. But I mean, most newspapers have an investigations department that investigates <laughs> stories about other people <laughs> as opposed to their own organisation. <laughs> no, but also, it's not it, it's not a secret. It's not a surprise that the Guardian might have had, or the founders of the Guardian in eighteen twenties might have had some kind of connection right. to the slave trade. I mean, the point is, if if you've if if you know your history, the Guardian actually supported the. Confederate side in the U.S. Civil War because of right. the cotton trade. Okay, so uh, they would so they would have supported the actual it was the supporters of, of slavery then. Well, uh, because indirectly, the, Confeder yes. the Confederates, yes, um, quite were quite keen on slavery. That was, well, that was that was the big issue in right. the uh, in the U.S. Uh, Civil War. So they've got a whole spread in the paper. Owner of the Guardian apologizes for founders' connections to slavery. Um, they talk about setting up something called Cotton Capital, which is a new journalism project uh, to explore the findings of how transatlantic slavery shaped Manchester. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, a, there's some government business going on here, uh, which I would have thought might be a bit more important. Uh, a, bit more, a bit more relevant. I mean, it's a bit onanistic, isn't it? I think there might be better uses for, for, for £10 million. Also, if you were one Trust. of those sad individuals who gives them money, because they're always begging for it on their yes. website. Please support us in our fine journalism. Yeah, you discover, it's, bit myth, you discover you? it's all going to go to some yeah. charity in South, South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, where they've probably got more money than we've got. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just find it very odd. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> I've, I've always thought maybe they should move out of journalism altogether, get back into the cotton business. <laughs> maybe they'd be better at that. Anyway, um, let's talk about Scotland. Hamza Yusuf. Scotland, um, yes. Scotland has really gone down the pan, hasn't it, recently, politically? Well, uh, well, it's very interesting because everyone says, oh, well, it all, it all fell apart as soon as uh, Nicola Sturgeon stood down. But actually, the reason she stood down was that it was falling apart. Yes. It's just behind the scenes and nobody nobody really noticed. And actually, the SNP's extraordinary um, discipline uh, held right until the moment she uh, she stood down. Right. Um, you know, obviously, there were tensions behind the scenes, but we didn't really know, know very much about them. And then they exploded out into the open with quite a bitter... 
leadership campaign with Kate Forbes really having a go at uh, mm. Hamza Yousaf yes. for being for being useless at every every department he'd, he'd well, it run. Which seems to be a universal um, um, kind of belief that he isn't hasn't been great. I mean, he's done for no. speeding while he's transport secretary. I know that's a bit anecdotal, but it's not a great look, is it? No, but waiting lists went up when he was when he was health yeah. uh, health secretary. Well, then your NHS in Scotland the trains didn't dying. run on time is yeah. what uh, Kate Forbes yes. said when he was transport secretary. Right. So yeah, no, he's and and you know there's that, that whole ferries business. Uh, I mean, the SNP's record uh, as as a domestic government in Scotland mm. has been has been pitiful. And well, they've they've, shat- they've shattered their own kind of you know image, haven't they? Yeah. Really? And because and, uh, yes, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon was able to sort of put off the moment of reckoning mm. by just saying, "Well, you know, look, we've got independence just around the corner." And now, uh, you know, as as it was becoming evident that that wasn't going to happen, her position just became mm. weaker and weaker. And now. And, and now they've really got to regroup. And now this, and it looks as though his first move uh, to appoint his deputy has been roundly criticised as well, because he's, he's basically pull, pulled in Shona Robertson, who's a close friend of Nicola Sturgeon, so it's back to the old days. And of, the uh, architect of the gender recognition yeah, bill. And, and he's um, also said he's going to continue with that, which yeah. was clearly a mistake and which clearly and which finished opinion, her off. public opinion in Scotland yeah. is, is opposed well, to. And not only that, but even in the SNP, they yeah. lost 40,000 members, largely due to the fact that they didn't support it. Yeah, well, well, we don't know quite why they would have lost those members, but I mean, well, there's no other explanation really because to lose that many people over such a short period of time, yeah, unless they didn't exist in the first place, heaven forbid, um, yeah. you know, there's no other way of saying what what happened really. Is no, it? I mean that that leadership election was that was the best possible result for those of us who want the country to stay together, uh, and actually also the best possible result for Keir Starmer because mm. I think you know Labour are the obvious alternative to the SNP in Scotland now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, briefly under Ruth Davidson, when when Labour was on its holiday from reality yeah. uh, under Jeremy Corbyn, briefly the Tories were were a possible alternative. But now, uh, but now Labour well, are, are roaring was quite, back. Quite a decent um, sort of figure, isn't he? But he's well. a very impressive, uh, yeah. very impressive leader. Yes, and I think he can really uh, he can really make inroads. And, yeah. you know, there's, and are you there's, talking about in Westminster or in in Hollywood as well? Well, well, Westminster is quite important yeah. because you know the next I mean the next general election is the is the next big. Well, test. I've and if Labour can pick up a lot of seats yeah. in Scotland. Well, Labour used to have forty eight seats in Scotland, well, and exactly. without those, they could never really form a, a proper. Well, it government. made it much harder. Yes. Yeah. So if they can get even tw- half of those back, that, could, that would be something. Um, but one of the things that he did was he, he as you say, downgraded Kate Forbes. He offered her a, a crappy job in the, in the new administration, which she immediately and she rejected. Said, Get lost. Um, and then, as I say, he's appointed this woman, who, by all accounts, is, is as useless as he is, uh, because the <laughs> the general trend of, of what I was watching on political comment yesterday uh, was that you know this is a, a party, a, a coalition of the untalented. <laughs> You know, which is a sort well, of play on what they'd done before. Well, I mean, you know, Scottish politics is is, is quite a small small pool of talent. Yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, the extraordinary thing about uh, Nicola Sturgeon was how how you know she was head and shoulders above all the others. Sure. Uh, in that in that small pool, but I mean, it turned out that she was she was a good communicator, but she wasn't she wasn't very good at anything else. I well, mean, apparently she, she the, wasn't very good at the strategy of of, of yeah. winning independence. Well, one of the things that was said about the way she ran the government was that it was such a small group of people. Yeah. Uh, that it became completely well, insular him. and cult like, and even Kate Forbes, who was the chancellor, didn't know what policy was because no. they didn't include her in the meetings. That's right, and, and that's kind of mad, isn't it? Yeah, and K- Kate Forbes is one of the few. Uh, uh, other people of, of of real talent and ability in Scottish politics. I mean, Anna Sawar, I think, is 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 is, a, is another one. Mm. Um, but the SNP didn't go for her because of uh, because of her complications. Yes. Finally, uh, we're told the Lib Dems are launching their. Um 
campaign for local um, elections today. Oh, I thought they launched it already. Did, I, I don't, did they? I, when you get so confused, Mike, yeah. with these, these these sort of pre-announcements. Yes. Uh, so I, I, if, if, Ed, if Ed Davey hasn't said it already, I think I, I know what he's going to say. You probably know these about I, I know what he's going well, to say. Well, I've been he alerted wants, to it only He wants 8,000 more doctors, yeah. which has got nothing to do with local elections, of course. Is but. he not well? <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently the, one of the things they always do is they do some really stupid stunts. And last, last year, I think they did something like knocking down a blue wall. They did, yes. And it all goes a bit viral. So we're kind of on the lookout for what they're going to come up with this time uh, to see if they can outdo Ed, uh, Ed Miliband. And I'm now going to start the countdown because... Um, if there is to be an election, I'm going to every time you come in now, I'm going to ask you when you think it's going to be. What the general election? Yes, that, that's October 2024. Okay, ne- October next year. October 24. Yeah. We've got enough time to get a new tent, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and <laughs> put it down on College Green. We'll see if we can do that. John, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Coming up, Alp Memics is going to join us from Migration Watch. He'll tell us what he makes of the idea of putting uh, the migrants on ships. How many are they going to need? They're going to need quite a few. They better start building them. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got plenty to do coming up over the course of the next uh, two and a half hours, I might say. Uh, We're going to be going uh, to Scotland. We're going to talk to Donald McLeod uh, about the old... SNP and football, of course, as well. Uh, Matthew Goodwin's going to join us. He's a man I've wanted to speak to uh, for quite a long time. He's going to be coming on to talk about uh, his new book, uh, Values, Voice and Virtue, The New British Politics, um, which is coming out this week. Because the thing about uh, what Matthew Goodwin writes about is where he sees society going. And he's written some very interesting pieces recently for The Sun and for The Sunday Times about what it is that we are finding ourselves following. Because what we found ourselves in uh, is a kind of a, what I would describe as a bit of a kind of a a lock, like a canal lock. And we're sort of stuck in this place where we can't get out. And the people who are keeping us in are the people telling us what we should be thinking, who we should be voting for, how we should be uh, sort of remarking on things and how we should be feeling about things. It's the new elite. He's written about that. Um, And it includes people, of course, like Gary Lineker. Uh, like Carol Vorderman, like Alistair Campbell, champagne socialists, generally speaking, um, who think that we should be um, opening our borders to everybody, uh, that we should be paying more tax so that people who are less well-off than we are can be happy in their little uh, lives. And so, you know, the world of Britain, if you like, is changing quite dramatically. Let's talk to Alp Mehmet, chairman of Migration Watch. Alp, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. I saw this picture of the ship on the front pages of all the papers this morning. I thought, I'm sure I've seen that before somewhere. And true enough, it sits somewhere <laughs> off the coast of, uh, uh, of Scotland. I think sometimes it comes up the Clyde and I've seen it there um, because originally it was going to be a prison ship. Um, so I don't know whether they're planning to build more of these. I don't know whether they're planning to use this one in particular. Um, but it's more talk and, and not very much action, isn't it? Um, I think that's exactly it, actually. There's uh, a bit of a smokescreen going up at the moment just to show that there's action being taken. Now, how long will it be before these barges, ferries are going to be ready? What's going to happen once they are ready? Are people going to be held on there indefinitely? If not, what's going to happen after there's nothing left to do with them other than remove them and they haven't got a place to remove them too so i i'm not taking it that seriously to be honest no what i'd be more interested in and to see what sort of shape this legislation that's going through at the moment 
is in by the time it gets to the other side and it's an act of parliament. Yes, because I think we've got about three weeks to wait until we see what comes out the other end of the pipe, haven't we? Because we've got the uh, Easter recess in the middle. I think there's a couple of amendments that have gone in. Some Tory MPs want it to be less harsh on immigrants. Some Tory MPs want it to be more harsh on them. Um, and the big question really, Alp, is whether having passed the law, it makes any difference. Uh, that That's exactly it. It's the nature of the law will it allow people to appeal will it allow people once they've left to appeal the decision to refuse them or, or remove them and at the moment it seems to me that there are huge holes in the legislation that's that's going through and i i i welcome the proposals that were made by uh, a couple of mps uh, um uh, Jonathan Gullis was one, um, I think, uh, and a couple of others whose name escapes me. Uh, nevertheless, they did make suggestions mm. that uh, certain disapplying, i.e. Uh, making sure that the Human Rights Act does not come into play, that it doesn't allow people to appeal and eventually go to um, uh, the, the ECHR. I mean, that, that will simply bring us back to where we are now. Well, exactly right. And the numbers involved are too big, really, to be solved by one single sort of swipe of a pen, aren't they? I mean, 160,000 people waiting for an asylum claim uh, to be examined when they're only managing to do one per person at the Home Office per week. I mean, I think somebody worked out it's going to take sort of a billion years for all that to be um, sort of even, even, <laughs> even, even administrated, never mind the ones who are still well, coming. Because let's not forget, even as we speak, there's still probably two or three hundred coming every single day. There, there are, yeah. We are, I think at the moment, something like 3,500. Uh, but let's let's wait and see. Frankly, the weather changes. There's a, a little bit of a lull, and people think, "Ah, it's been cracked." Well, it hasn't. Frankly, thousands are going to continue to come this year, and unless we start removing those who've arrived and have no right to be here, then I'm afraid more and more will come. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question that the reason for them coming is the fact that they know once they get here, they won't have to worry about anything ever again. They can stay here. They can either disappear into the black economy. Uh, they can stay in a hotel. Uh, they can go and stay with members of their family. Um, you know, and we're being fed this narrative now that many of them come because they have family members here, some of whom probably came illegally. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but in my experience, that sort of thing certainly did used to happen. Uh, but the fact is that we've got to get people out of long-term stay in hotels. That's that's just absurd. And we can't go on. I think that the camps, if we could agree local MPs and the communities, that it's OK to uh, put people up in former military camps for uh, RAF or whatever, then... Great. I think that that is a, a, a better way of doing it. However, what we mustn't do is having put them into the camps, then give them the freedom of the local area to wander about and give them pocket money in which uh, to go out and, and do what they want. That, that 
I'm afraid, is is just not realistic, not a nonsense, and certainly attracts people mm. to a certain extent, and that's got to stop. Yes, and apparently we're going to have to spend another few hundred million uh, on France so that we can give them some more money. Uh, as I've said jokingly before to Richard Tice, it seems as though they've got the wrong end of the stick there. They seem to think that the more money we give them, the more migrants they send us. That's not what the point of it is, I believe. <laughs> well, uh, uh, that's... Uh, that's a very good point. It's the how serious are the French about stopping people? When we sort of press them on it, they say, well, of course, we will do what we can. But it, this is really a, a Brussels matter. Mm. This is really an EU matter. Well, they've got their own problems, frankly. And if they had any sense, they would sort it out at their end mm. so that they weren't pouring in through the borders of the external borders of the EU and making their way up eventually. A, a lot of them having applied for asylum and been denied it in any in, in other countries. Mm. But the reason that people end up where they do in uh, on, on the channel is because they're attracted by the idea yeah. of coming here and not being removed at any time. Yes. I mean, we hear stories and anecdotes from different countries in Europe about um, um, people being sent home, deported, whatever. Um, Denmark certainly have done it. Sweden have done it. Um, I'm not absolutely certain what happens, though. You say that some of these uh, characters have been denied asylum in some European countries. And what happens to them then? Are they left to roam Europe? I mean, are they, are they never deported? Pretty much, yes. I mean, some are deported. Of course they are. And I know the examples of Albanians being sent back yeah. is given. But by and large, they're no better at removing people who have no right to be in the country mm. than, than we are. And frankly, uh, the, the hundreds of thousands who enter the EU know that having entered, they're there to stay. What they don't get is to be, they'd never get to the point of being looked after to the extent that they're looked after here. And that, that is an attraction. Yeah, it really is. So, I mean, on balance, uh, we wait to see what this law says. But, I mean, the Tories do know that this is a massive issue now. I mean, we've been saying it, you and I, probably for years together on this uh, very station. But they've now finally got it, at least. I mean, is there any hope that they can do something? Uh, have you got any glimmer of hope in your, in your eyes? <laughs> I, well, I, you, you make the absolutely pertinent point that there's an election coming up. Yeah. And that is a huge, huge incentive to get this right. Because, frankly, if the Tories do not get this right, then they can say bye-bye government. Um, I, I don't know whether or not they stand any chance of getting in anyway. That's for the people to decide. But what I do know is, and you might ask Matt Goodwin this, actually, mm. because he's done some fantastic research on it. But the fact is that... The Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Those people who might vote for them most definitely won't if they don't sort out the channel. And indeed, if they don't sort out the wider issue of legal immigration, which is also out of control and going at a rate of knots in a way that is going to be harmful to everyone, including those who come. Yes, indeed. Oh, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Out oh, Mehmet there from Migration Watch. Uh, coming up, we're going to take some calls. Uh, we're going to tell you about some uh, opposition as well to more of these low traffic neighbourhoods. Uh, how about this from Simon in Aberdeen? Mike, he says, got a couple of spare ferries on the Clyde. I'm sure the SNP would lend the government. Uh, and Paul in Fife says, Mike, Jeremy Corbyn quite rightly expelled from Labour Party for refusing to denounce anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Yet Scotland has a new First Minister, Hamza Useless, who recently openly declared in Holyrood that there were too many white people in key positions. Total and utter racist remarks. Yet he is voted in as our new Prime Minister. Uh, are we at the stage in this country where you can basically say what you want about white people without fear of reprisal? Well, I mean, you might well say that is a very interesting question. He's not, I suppose, Prime Minister. He's First Minister. And he was only really voted in by about a third of the people uh, in the SNP. Never mind the people who actually voted for him. So I wonder, people are already beginning to ask the question, is he going to last any longer than Liz Truss? We'll find out later on uh, in the show. Coming up, though, uh, lots of your calls. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got much to do and plenty of time to do it in, by the way. Kevin O'Sullivan joins us a little bit later on in the show. He's going to talk about his good friend Paul O'Grady, uh, who he knew very well uh, in his capacity, of course, as a showbiz correspondent uh, for many publications. He is, of course, now our very own Talk TV presenter. Donald McLeod is going to be here. Uh, he wants to talk to us about Hamza Youssef and the latest manoeuvrings up in Holyrood, uh, where the SNP seem to be defenestrating themselves with every single day that passes. He might also mention the fact uh, that Scotland managed to beat Spain 2-0 at football last night, which is pretty extraordinary. Uh, But first up, we're going to talk to Matthew Goodwin, academic and writer. He's written a series of pieces over the last few days, fascinatingly kind of opening up what is happening in this country in terms of the way that it's being run, uh, the way that people are sort of forming themselves into different groups, the way that there's a new kind of elite which seems to be ruling the ruling classes and all sorts of very, very interesting political manoeuvrings, whether it be inside the Labour Party, inside the Conservative Party, with Scotland as well going on. Uh, But also, before we go any further, uh, I have to make an apology. Uh, It is to Peter Cardwell, uh, who will be here tomorrow in place of Judy Hartley Brewer. Um, He was referring to a comment I made earlier about some of these people running low-traffic neighbourhoods. He said his great-grandmother Tilly, sadly no longer with us, who was from Omar in County Tyrone, says uh, she would have been a great fan of your show. However, he says she did crochet and she would have argued that crocheting is definitely not a left-wing activity. So there we are. Uh, thank you. And I'm very sorry to Tilly. Uh, and I'm all in favour of right wing uh, crocheting. So carry on. Crochet away. Um, and I will no longer use it as a slur uh, to have a go at people who are eco-zealots, 
they probably can't crochet anyway because they're not very good with their hands. They don't do any work at all. Let's speak to Matthew Goodwin, academic and writer. He's got a column in The Sun today about the new elite. And there are pictures of the new elite. And they use Carol Vorderman, Alistair Campbell, uh, Emily Maitlis and Gary Lineker. Now, what puts them all... I think the only person in that grouping that doesn't have a podcast with uh, Gary Lineker's company is Carol Vorderman. So maybe they're working on that. I don't know. Matthew, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good to be with you, Mike. Thanks very much indeed. We've been wanting to get you on for a while. I was I was first actually um, drawn to you this week by the piece in the Sunday Times about um, the sort of the shifting sands, if you like, of of, of, of the Great Britain that, that we know. You're you're not quite as old as I am. Um, I'm probably quite a lot younger actually. But but I've seen a very big change in the last sort of ten years of just the way that people. Uh, kind of talk to each other, the way that people react. I know that London has now become almost a sort of a a cosmic sort of centre all of its own, nothing like the rest of the country. Because whenever you go anywhere outside of London, people behave very differently. But but this new elite that you talk about today in The Sun is very much London-based, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. What I'm talking about is the rise of a new governing class, basically, not just in our politics, but in the creative industries, cultural institutions, some parts of the media. I'm talking really about professional middle class graduates live in the cities, university towns who basically hold an immense amount of cultural power, not just economic power, but cultural power, who are basically in charge, Mike, of um, determining what we can talk about, what we can't talk about and how we think about other groups in society. And what I think, at least over the last decade, when you look at the rise of Brexit, you look at the rise of populism in British politics, this sense among millions of people that the elite has lost touch. My personal view here is that actually I think it's a lot to do with this new uh, governing class in the country that really holds a set of values that lots of other people don't hold and which is often not really that interested, Mike, in giving people a serious voice in the national conversation. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I mean, you talk about a progressive sort of cultural revolution, the same thing or a similar thing is happening in America. But it's all very much about silos, isn't it? It's all about your own echo chamber and not listening to anybody from outside of it and declaring that anybody who doesn't think the way you do is somehow evil or amoral or somehow, you know, it's like this we all hate. The number of people that you see on uh, on social media who say in their profile, I hate and detest all Tories. And you kind of go, what's wrong with you? You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, take Twitter as an example. We know from the research Twitter is dominated basically by left progressives who tend to be more intolerant of people who hold different political beliefs to their own. And I am calling this group out in this book, Mike, because I spent a lot of my life looking at the populist right. A lot of my earlier career was on the populist right. But I genuinely believe, Mike, that we now have a very serious challenge from what you might call the woke progressive left. I think this is a really big challenge. And if you look at how they're trying to impose speech codes, how they're trying to restrict freedom of speech, um, how they think about issues like empire, gender, what we should teach children in school, um, all of these things. um, They are often in a world of their own. They're often holding values that many other voters don't hold. But the crucial difference, Mike, is they also wield considerable influence over the institutions, over the schools, over the universities, over the media, over the creative industries, the advertisements we see on TV. And I think many people are just sitting at home, maybe watching this show, listening to this show, thinking, you know, what on earth is happening to this national conversation? What's happening here? And this book really is about trying to explain how this happened. Yes. Well, I think it was very much um, uh, kind of concentrated, wasn't it? And we could see how this is all working over the whole Gary Lineker uh, stramash, as I call it, you know, when he basically likened the uh, Suella Braverman policy on migrants to uh, 1930s Germany, 
people started arguing about whether he meant the Nazis or not the Nazis. It doesn't really matter. I think it was obvious what he meant. But the number of people who kind of filed in behind him who are from these new elites that you talk about, this new sort of social uh, mob who basically are for open borders. Because by and large, one of the things you point out is that they don't live in urban centres. They don't live in poor parts of the country, these guys uh, and women. So they don't really feel the effects of mass immigration. Well, exactly. I mean, there's a hypocrisy that comes with the the new elite or what, what other academics have called the luxury belief class. On the one hand, they promote policies like higher immigration, looser borders, uh, radical gender identity um, in schools and universities. Um, but often they don't really have to suffer the consequences of those decisions. Mm. I mean, they're very relaxed about the family, for example, yet at the same time, they're the most likely to get married, to stay married, to have their kids within the context of a marriage. So they're often advocating, you know, a very sort of radical social liberalism or a kind of woke progressivism, which they often don't really suffer the costs of. And this is a hypocrisy that I think many people can see. So if you look at the Gary Lineker case, Mike, you know, Gary Lineker strongly opposed a government policy, right? That's a 15% position in this country. 15% of people agree with him. Now, if you look at the national conversation and how it was framed by the BBC and others, you, you would be left with the impression that this was a 75% position. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about, this disconnect, which is leading lots of people to say, hang on a second, my values aren't in this conversation, my voice isn't in this conversation, and now they're looking down at me as a sort of inferior underclass of ignorant gammons mm. and racists. And I think a lot of people out there basically have had enough of that. Well, they really have. And, and also to be painted as some kind of cruel individual because you don't want to have something happen uh, to your country, which you don't recognise anymore, uh, is absolutely and utterly ludicrous. But unfortunately, because so many of these characters are in the media, I mean, of those people uh, who the son have pictured, I know you'll be talking about other people, not just Carol Vorderman, Alistair Campbell, Emily Maitlis and Gary Lineker. They're all in the media, you know. And so the message, I mean, Carol Vorderman has kind of turned from what used to be a rather, um, you know, pleasant presenter to sort of somebody who seems to have lost the plot and is attacking the Tory government at every single moment. You wonder what's happened to her. Yeah, I mean, it's not only the the, the media too, Mike. I mean, if you look at the university vice chancellors, my, my world, the, the, the professors, the people who basically control, you know, what we call the constitution of knowledge, uh, the gatekeepers who basically determine what's acceptable to discuss and what isn't, if you look at the MPs in Parliament, if you look at the civil service, if you look at the creative industries, the museums, the galleries, the publishing industries, basically that public square, right, is now overwhelmingly dominated by graduates, typically from elite universities, who often come from privileged families, who tend to share the same sets of cultural values on these new big issues that we're debating, mm. immigration, small boats, gender, Britishness, who are we, Mike, as a country? And what really worries me why I wrote this book is because if this gulf between the elites and the masses continues to grow and grow and grow, we're going to have a really big problem in this country. And the populism and the, the political turbulence that we had over the last decade may just be, be, end up becoming the beginning of this big blowback mm. from voters who are saying, look, I've got to get back into this national conversation because these people running the country are not really interested in people like me. No, and they're not really interested in the country. I mean, so many of them can be characterised as as though somehow, you know, they're, they're not particularly proud of the country. They're not particularly uh, happy about what is going on here. They they constantly have a go at the government. Uh, they call the Tories the party that ruined Britain. You know, they all wanted Brexit not to happen, but it did happen. So they haven't forgiven anybody for that. You know, and it seems ludicrous to me that, that these 
small numbers of people can, can, can sort of command such attention because, I mean, look at The Guardian today, for example. I mean, a great example of the left sort of eating themselves. The Guardian decided to set up an investigations unit to investigate their own history and have now decided that they've got all these links to slavery. So now they're going to give 10 million quid away uh, by way of sort of reparations to parts of America. And you go, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah, what's going on? Here's, yeah, here's the thing, Mike. What's happened is the old elite used to derive their status, their sense of esteem from their wealth from their uh, ability to take holidays, from fashion. The new elite derive their status by being countercultural, by basically critiquing, if not repudiating, national institutions, uh, national culture and traditions, whether it's the royal family, whether it's British identity, whatever it is. Uh, Daniel Bell, uh, my academic hero, first noted this in the 1970s. He said, the issue with the elite, as it passed through the universities, moved into these institutions, is that it was becoming openly countercultural. Mm. So, you know, it, there's also, again, a hypocrisy here. You, you're allowed to critique the identity and the history and the culture of the majority group in your own country, but you're not allowed to do that for any other group around the world or any minority mm. group. So there's a very imbalanced approach that sort of drives this reaction within this new, within this, new uh, this governing class. And Mike, unless we can get away from this divisive identity politics, which is another thing I call out in the book, mm. and say we've got to get back to unifying stories about who we are. We can't just keep telling kids that they're only defined by their race or their gender, and we can't keep um, putting people into these segregated silos based on their group identities. We've got to get back yeah. to what we have in common not what's pushing us apart. Because if we don't, Mike, we're going to have a big problem. Well, I think that's right. I watched you last night on Piers Morgan's show and you were sitting between uh, two other guests who were both absolutely convinced that you were the devil incarnate, uh, one of whom was Ava Santina. Um, and, and basically uh, talking about how you're not allowed to use a meme uh, if, it's, if it's a meme of somebody who happens to be black. And, you know, I mean, Piers was on your side as well. But, but we have sort of gone into this kind of, gone into this weird rabbit hole where there's only two ways to go, apparently, and you have to pick it at the beginning and you have to come out the other end. You know, you can't have your mind changed for you. That wouldn't work at all. You have to firmly believe something and everybody else is wrong. I think if you look at the last 100 years or so, basically we transitioned from a culture that was about dignity, was about honour, was about bravery, into a culture that's now overwhelmingly about victimhood. Mm. That's the key shift that's happened. So if you can define yourself as a victim, if you can define yourself as somebody who is an ally of victims... Uh, again, perpetuating these narratives, then you are a high-status individual, Mike. If you align yourself with this radical, woke ideology, as far as the elite are concerned, you're a high-status individual. If you know all the language, white guilt, white privilege, heteronormative, cisgender, if you can demonstrate to your fellow elites that you're part of this new religion, because I, I do genuinely believe it's a new religion, then you're going to be a high-status high individual. But what if you're white working class? What if you're culturally conservative? What if you haven't gone to university? What if you're an apprentice? What if you've gone into a technical college? What if you live on the coast away from the big cities? What if you're looking at this country saying, actually, I'm not sure we should continue to have hyper-globalization or mass immigration? What if you basically hold a set of values, Mike, that put you on the wrong side of the prevailing culture? And I think that is basically where lots of people today find themselves. They're looking at the institutions and they're saying, you know, it's not only that I'm not in those institutions, it's not only that my values aren't in those institutions, it's also that they're now looking down mm. on me as white working class, ignorant gammons and Karens and, uh, all, and, and, and the rest of it. And this is what I'm worried about, Mike. This is what caused Trump, right? This is what caused Trump. This is what's driving populism across Europe. This is what's also, by the way, leading lots of people, which I suspect will happen at the next general election, to give up on politics altogether. Mm. 
to yeah. say, you know what, I can't even make a difference in the system. I'm going to sit it out. And that is also not a good place no. to be. Let's get these people back into the conversation. Absolutely right. Because then uh, otherwise you end up with what's going on around the country in various different councils where they're just deciding, you know, willy nilly without really uh, any kind of thought process for the people who voted for them uh, to do all sorts of things, closing off roads, putting in speed restrictions, putting in speed bumps, all of the stuff that, that is going on around us for which nobody seems to have a voice. But at the final analysis, I guess, Matthew, what we're saying is the new establishment, if you like, uh, the people that run the museums, the people that run the civil service, the people that run various departments of government, you know, it's, it's become a very left-wing outfit, hasn't it? Overwhelmingly leaning towards the left. And essentially what's happened in my mind, Mike, I think the evidence backs me up on this. As these institutions have become dominated by graduates from elite universities, and as those graduates have moved left, over the last 10 years, partly in response to Trump and Brexit, they've basically radicalized. They're taking the institutions with them. So if you look at the adverts on TV, great example. I don't know about you, but the adverts that I see on TV are, are certainly don't reflect why no. the British society, right? No. They reflect the worldview of this new elite. Like, this is how they would like the country to be. Mm. This is how they sort of perceive the country to be, you know, when they're doing the, the design clips and the adverts in, you know, Stoke Newington and Shoreditch, yeah. wherever. Um, and I think this is this is ultimately what's going on, that we've got this, this kind of geographical uh, separation, this cultural separation, and now this political separation with a left-leaning elite. And I include Conservative MPs in this, mm. Mike. Most Conservative MPs are much further to the cultural left than most of the voters who are voting for them. And then you've got the voters, on the other hand, who are saying, come on, guys, let's, let's, you can do a better job of representing a large chunk of the country who don't really think like this. And to be honest, just, just want the country to be a little bit more representative of the groups that mm. live in it. Yeah, absolutely right. Imagine that. Uh, sounds extremist these, uh, these days, all, all of that stuff that you've said, but it's great. Matt, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. The book is called Values, Voice and Virtue, The New British Politics. It's out tomorrow. Uh, we'll speak to you again soon, Matthew. Thank you very much indeed. Matthew Goodwin there. Uh, incredible, isn't it? Here's a great summation, actually, uh, of what's uh, been said by Mac. He says, we live in a time where intelligent people are being silenced so that stupid people won't be offended. I think that's absolutely spot on. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. So much to do today. Um, so many great calls and some fantastic uh, tweets and texts as well. Uh, well said, Matthew Goodwin. I'm a 76-year-old pensioner and I totally agree with Mr. Matthew Goodwin, says William in Coventry. Um, and Leslie says, Mike, after listening to the new elite, I've come to the conclusion, sadly, this country is finished. No one listens to Mr. Average. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, how about this one from Christine in Surrey? The young guy Mike has just had on should be invited on air to have a debate with the people he mentioned, particularly Gary Lineker or Blair's henchman, Alistair Campbell. Absolutely right. Um, let's talk about something completely different, though. We all woke up this morning to the sad news that uh, Paul O'Grady, uh, a.k.a. Lily Savage, had passed away. Um, at the young age, really, of 67, we're going to talk to my good friend Kevin O'Sullivan very shortly. He knew Paul um, quite well. But before we do that, let's just have a look at the great man himself. Tighty, tighty, you know, tight as a crab's ass in the BBC. I'm telling you, I'm, they are serious. Because I got here and they said, um, oh, I went to wardrobe and they said, oh, we're very thrifty, you know, here at the BBC. We believe in recycling. We don't waste taxpayers' licence money. Oh, no. They said, there's your costumes over there. They were all Gloria Honeyford and Esther Hansen's old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'd rather chew my own nipple off first if that's an anaesthetic. <laughs> 
That's great, isn't it? I mean, tremendous talent. Um, just before we talk to Paul, uh, to Kevin rather, let's have a look at Chris Evans this morning on Virgin Radio, uh, paying tribute to Paul O'Grady. Then as of last night, there's another, um, there's an extra uh, bright, bright st- sparkling and shining more than most one would imagine because Paul O'Grady's passed away. Absolutely straight down the middle, wonderful human being. Really funny, really unbelievably clever. He didn't say much, which is extraordinary if you think what he did for a living, but he didn't say much. He was really, but when he said it, it really meant something. It was really deep, you know. He was awesome. He And he shone. He always looked really well. Loved the right kind of people, couldn't stand the wrong kind of people. Um, super clever, super caring. And it's super sad that he's passed away, but Paul O'Grady. Chris Evans there uh, on Virgin Radio talking this morning. Let's talk to Kevin O'Sullivan, who uh, who knew Paul as well. Kevin, a very good uh, morning to you. Hello, Mike. I mean, uh, just watching uh, Paul there as Lily Savage, just just laugh out loud funny, which we don't see much of these days. It's not very often you can watch somebody on telly and just suddenly start laughing. Yeah, he's a very gifted performer, a really funny guy, uh, very articulate, uh, incredibly witty, always had a one-liner ready for you in any conversation. Uh, And he translated that into being a a fantastic broadcaster on both uh, radio and television. Uh, And uh, I echo what Chris Evans was just saying there. Uh, You you see so many people, me included today, saying, so sad that my friend Paul O'Grady has died. Now, I wouldn't claim to be his best mate, you know, but over the years... Uh, every time I was in a club or a pub, you know, up in the West End, he'd always come over and say hello. And what, what have you been writing about me now? Or what you said last week, that wasn't fair. And all that kind of stuff. Uh, and everybody who knew him considered him to be a friend because he was a lovely guy and he had a gift for friendship. Mm. He had a gift for making relationships. Uh, I, I met him at many uh, sort of dog charity events as well because, right. of course, he was a legendary uh, dog lover and for that uh, he will be missed. Uh, uh, you know, a really, really sad day. Uh, he'd struggled with his health uh, over the years. He had about three heart attacks. Uh, in his day, I think he was what you might call quite a hard liver. Yes. Um, uh, and... Uh, but uh, you know, it's been taken from us at the age of sixty-seven, way too young. We've lost, we've lost a real national superstar. Yeah, he really is. I mean, I was just listening to an interview that Piers Morgan uh, gave the other day um, to the guys on Trigonometry, and he was talking about how his kind of entry into television was largely down to, to Paul O'Grady. You'll probably know this story, but he was telling the story of how uh, Simon Cowell had come to him after he left the Mirror and said, um, you know, we've got this idea for a talent show, and it's going to be called Paul O'Grady's Got Talent. And it was supposed to be an ITV show, which ended up getting the kibosh because Paul O'Grady fell out with ITV and ended up going off to Channel 4. And so that was the end of Piers' chance to get on TV. And then uh, he got a call, he said, about four months later from Cal, who was in America, saying, I've taken it to America. We're going to do America's Got Talent. How do you fancy that? So, you know, his sort of his, his tentacles were reaching everywhere, if you like. Oh, yeah. Paul knew everybody. He really, really did. Uh, I remember years ago, uh, I was at a dinner party and he was sat, sat li- literally next to me. So we were chatting all, all the night. And it was in the days when he, I think he was doing his Channel 4 uh, daily chat show then, right. Paul Grady show. It might have been when it was on ITV. He did chat, afternoon chat shows on both channels, went from ITV to Channel 4. Anyway, he famously, uh, throughout that tenure, he always had his dog Buster his little uh, sort of terrier dog, yeah. Buster, gets him on the desk. Uh, and Buster became like a really superstar. And I was sitting there with O'Grady and, the, and there was Buster next to 
O'Grady on a chair. And I was sort of, I was quite sort of starstruck by it's Buster. I was going, is that Buster? Because, you know, Buster, wow, it's Buster. And he goes, yeah, I'll get that bloody everywhere I go. I'm going to get rid of that dog. He overshadows me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, and I've also I've heard tales of, of of sort of legendary lunches that might even outshine ours. That he would quite often go for the old twelve hour lunch with some people. Yeah, uh, he had a, a, a famous uh, friendship uh, with uh, Cilla Black. Uh, they enjoyed some good times together, I do believe. Uh, and yes, he 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 was a bon viveur. Uh, he had to kind of curtail his high life, as it were, as he got older, because yeah. he did, uh, as I say, suffer several heart attacks, had a lot of health problems, uh, and then moved down to Kent uh, with his huge menagerie of animals. I always used to joke with him, because, you know, he did uh, um, uh, For the Love of Dogs, you know, about yes. Batsy um, on an uh, ITV, very successful series. Uh, and he never got through an episode without sort of taking some dog home. Right. You know, so... He'd spend the whole oh look at that lovely look at that lovely dog and they go oh, we're looking for a home and he said what you can't find a home for it and they go no we go oh I'll have it I mean every episode he'd go off with a dog right. so I had a standing ten quid bet with him that he'd never get through an episode of For the Love of Dogs without adopting one right. of them. Right. Uh, I make quite a few tenors out of that. <laughs> yeah, and he had a fascinating kind of backstory, didn't he? Because he was a social worker, I think, at one point in his early in career in Camden. Uh, yeah. I've, Obviously very much a scouser, uh, uh, but uh, became a social worker in Camden uh, and, uh, you know, was a part of the London gay scene. And, and uh, he did his drag act uh, down at the Vauxhall Tavern, famous uh, gay venue yeah. down south of the river. Uh, and uh, he did that for many years and became uh, quite a household name through that. That switched to television and the rest is history. I mean, while we're on the subject, you know, this will be uh, quite a reminder to the BBC what a terrible mistake they made a year or so ago, was it? Uh, 18 months ago? Yes. What he had for 13 to 14 years, the longest job he ever had, he said, uh, presented the afternoon show, Sunday afternoon show on Radio 2. Yeah. And they decided to divide it up with Rob Beckett. Nothing against Rob Beckett. He's a very talented guy and all that. But, you know, O'Grady said, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm Paul O'Grady. I've been doing this 14 yeah. years. Why are you splitting me up? You know, why don't you give him another show? They wouldn't do it. So they were reducing this much-loved national superstar, Paul Grady, to half rates, mm. as it were. Yeah. And he just, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And he walked out and when asked afterwards, you know, why did you do it? He... Because that's another thing about mm. Paul, by the way. He was very honest. Yeah. Not like showbiz people. Told you the truth. He said, well, I wasn't happy with this arrangement. Mm. He, said, it's a, he said, and I do not understand why Radio 2 are doing this. They say they're going for a younger audience. He said, that just doesn't make sense no. to me. That's the other thing about Paul O'Grady. He was very bright, very sharp, and he understood the business. Absolutely. And and that, meanwhile, crusade on Radio 2 goes on, where they're continuing to replace uh, old older people with 48-year-olds to say they're going after a younger audience. <laughs> you know, yeah, brilliant. We, we've got bright young things, Scott Mills. We've got that br brilliant new youngster, Vernon Kay. Yeah. They're not even getting younger people. They're swapping old people with old people. Yeah. What the hell are they doing? I they know. should never have got rid of Paul O'Grady. They really shouldn't. And, and he will be uh, sadly missed. I guess hopefully what we, we might see some sort of tributes to him on TV uh, later on uh, tonight or this week anyway. But, but he was a genuinely just, as I say, one of those guys you just genuinely found funny.
Yeah, he was a, he was a funny guy. He was a nice guy. He had a serious compassion, hence his do- uh, love of dogs. Uh, and if he didn't like someone, trust me, you wouldn't want to like them. Uh, yeah. He was a great judge of character. And as I say, you know, this sounds like a cliche, but I, I've never seen such an outpouring of love today mm. uh, for a celebrity who has pa- sadly passed. Yeah. Uh, everybody who knew Paul O'Grady loved him, and uh, uh, we've lost a very special person today. Yeah. And we'll see you back on uh, Friday night. You got any any plans afoot for the weekend yet? Uh, well, no, I'll be back. On, uh, well, I'm on the uh, what am I I'm on the talk tonight, uh, okay. and then I'm back on Saturday. My new uh, Saturday time, four to seven. So I'm doing Saturday drive and Sunday drive uh, right here on Talk TV. Excellent. Well, we should look forward to it. I might see you out uh, at the studios later on. Uh, I'm going to be out there as well later on tonight for Jeremy Carl. I dare say that Jeremy will, will have plenty to say about Paul O'Grady as well. Lots more for us to do here. We've got Prime Minister's questions, don't forget, today, coming up at midday. Today, though, uh, it's Deputy Prime Minister's questions. It's Dominic Raab against Angela Rayner. It might actually be a bit more exciting than what we normally see from Sakir Boring uh, and Rishi Sunak. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Robert Jenrick, the Immigration Minister, they're setting out what the government's plans are. Uh, there will be a response from Labour. But let's go to James Hill from The Spectator, who's on College Green, uh, waiting patiently for us. James, a very good afternoon to you. Um, that all went on a bit longer than we were expecting, I'm afraid. So um, uh, should we start off, first of all, I suppose, with uh, Jenrick being put up there as the man uh, of the moment, who's telling us all that we have to change policy, we have to take a different approach. Um, it sounds like they mean business, but but do they? Well, that's a very good question. And, um, you know, the reason for this, of course, is twofold. One is which is to act as a deterrent effect on the small boat crossings. But the other was also to cut down on that six million pound a day hotel bill to house the 51,000 migrants who are here. Um, It does seem as though their sort of government is going further than previous proposals. We've actually got two sites in mind and RAF bases, but both those have got problems and local opposition. So I wait to see if they're going to be able to override those concerns and actually get to start moving some of those migrants out of those hotels and into those sites. Yeah, and I mean, a a bit of news, I suppose, he gave us was that they were hopeful that the processing has now been speeded up and they're going to be able to get rid of all of those who are currently waiting uh, for processing uh, of their asylum claims by the end of this year. I mean, that would suggest that not only are they going to process the ones that are already here, but all the ones that are going to come between now and then as well. Well, yes, that's the key thing is the backdating element of this, which means that it's going to apply for those who are coming here in, in future, but also to ensure that it takes effect from uh, the point where they were proposed so as to not encourage a sort of rush before that sort of the laws and the changes mm. come into practice. Um, I thought what was interesting was the new sort of East Sussex site, which was mentioned. I'm looking forward to seeing more details on that. But of course, the big thing that was floated overnight uh, was these idea of the sort of asylum ships uh, of cruise ships where you could put um, uh, migrant workers on and uh, sorry, migrants on. And uh, there wasn't mention of the detail in the opening statement. So I wonder perhaps if that's another sign of one of these great schemes getting floated and not actually backed up yet. Yes, well, you do wonder because they need an awful lot of those ships, wouldn't they, to uh, encompass even just the numbers that arrive on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, you know, they were talking about, I think, 3,000 uh, migrants in these different bases. I mean, that is, you know, not even 10% of the amount who are in the, in the country in hotels. So, I mean, again, as well as, and that's also, you've got to remember, they've got to get through the fight. I mean, one of these bases is in James Cleverley, the Foreign Secretary's uh, constituency, the other's in Lincolnshire, uh, where there's a huge amount of local opposition. It's the, the base of the Dam Busters, RF Scrampton. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's going to offend Tory sensibilities across the country. So it remains to be seen if they're going to have a fight with just getting you know, 3,000 out of hotels, how about the other 47,000? Well, exactly right. And, and as you say, the, the East Sussex uh, mention, it's not clear whether that's a, a military site or a former military site or what it is, really. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of briefing overnight in all the papers today. It sort of splashes most of them. Uh, I hadn't seen the details of that one. So I think I think it is going to be a sort of another military site. That seems to be the kind of focuses on those MED promises, uh, properties. The problem is, of course, a lot of them are in key Tory constituencies. Yes. And, um, you know, the classic thing, I talk to a lot of MPs and they all say they want a solution, etc. But no one seems to actually want to host them in their, <laughs> their constituency for perhaps understandable reasons. Well, yeah, I don't think they're going to be very happy at election time if they've got one uh, uh, yeah. of those sort of camps in their constituency. But let's go back to, to Prime Minister's questions. We knew it would be a little bit spicy between Angela Rayner uh, and Dominic Raab. She kicked off with a bullying kind of uh, uh, tirade about him, which was quite funny. But then he came back with an even better zinger, really. Yes, I mean, anti-social behaviour week. I mean, you couldn't ask for... It was served upon a plate for her and she said that, you know, accused him basically being a thug and he came back with a great rejoinder, which was, you know, I've never called anyone scum. So a great <laughs> response and the Tory benches were cheering at that. Probably the standout line of this PMQs. Um, and then, of course, Rayner swiftly moved on because, uh, you know, for all the, the sort of high talk, she is actually a bit of a sort of Prescott to uh, Starmer's Blair, likes to be a bit of a sort of bully boy. And she was in there sort of kicking it with her, her high heels and uh, talking about, um, you know, ineffective sentencing and, and failed prosecution as well on sexual violence and uh, issues around serious crime and really I think I mean Rob did his best against that trying to talk about the pandemic uh, but it's very difficult because uh, you know it, it's something that, that the Tories have a weak spot on it is the funding of the justice system yeah yeah it is very difficult also the amount of money recovered uh, from that uh, fraudulent scheme that, that many people took advantage of uh, by borrowing money from the government they never bothered giving back and they never even really had a company to borrow it with in the first place yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, one of Labour's key points. They want to be seen as sort of fiscally credible, safe with your money. Uh, and so they've really been trying to go in after what's been spent in the COVID loans, uh, the bounce back loans. And uh, Rachel Reeves likes to sort of portray herself as the kind of iron shadow chancellor. Um, and But, you know, the Tories have a good response to that, which is that, you know, Labour was screaming at us in those early days of the mm. pandemic to give out this money to stop businesses going under. Uh, so I think overall it's probably a score draw. But, uh, you know, I, I always really enjoy watching the deputy PMQs. And I sort of, you have to wonder why do we have to have Sunak and Starmer back on that? Yes, I know. I'm I always find it far more entertaining, but there we are. James, thank you very much indeed. James Heal there uh, from The Spectator, live for us on College Green, uh, watching us uh, as we were uh, watching the Deputy Prime Minister's questions. We've got Yvette Cooper, who's been answering um, the, uh, the the statement that uh, Robert Jenrick made. He's back up answering her once more. Uh, we'll go back to it briefly for a moment. 50% across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.